Good. Well, this morning, we'll be carrying on with the second session, instalment, whatever word you want to put into that spot of our Realign series, which we began back in January. I'm going to be looking at God's plan for harmonious relationship between humans. Harmonious relationship between humans, the origins of which are purely and perfectly exemplified between the or within the relationship of the Trinity, i.e. between the relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's only by exploring this relationship between the persons of the Trinity that we can begin the journey of realigning ourselves back to God's heart for right living within families, within our friend circles, and within our marriages. And it's only then that we can begin to model this broken, this fractured world that we live in, what true, genuine, loving relationship really looks like. So if your Bible's with you, please turn with me this morning to Matthew 3, 14 to 17. This verse is just going to be a bit of a, a stake in the ground, which we'll refer to toward the end of the message today. John worried me at the beginning because he said to me that they'd started looking at this at the beginning of the, uh, in their home group uh, on Thursday this week. So his home group, whoever you are, um, are going to be keeping an eye out to see if, uh, if I get anything wrong. Right, so that's no pressure at all, is it? Wonderful. So Matthew 3, verses 14. We're starting at verses 14, uh, 13, sorry, not 14, verse 13. When Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptised by him, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And these are the, these are the uh, verses that we are primarily, uh, primarily I want us to focus on. And when Jesus was baptised, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Heavenly Father, Lord, what an honour and privilege we have this morning to be here as a group of people, as a church, without fear of repercussions, to be able to open your word freely, to share your truth freely. Let us never take that for granted. But this morning, Lord, as we delve deeper into this Realign series, particularly looking at relationships, 
I pray, Lord, that you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Reveal your truth to us. Lord, as always, my, may I be transparent. May your church only ever see you. That is all we are, Lord. We are just signposts to you, as it should be. So be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of, one of the very sad realities of the fall of humanity is the fractured, broken relationships that we see all around us. It's a bit of a staple, really, within the existence of humanity. The first time that we really get a sense of this within Scripture is, is with the relationship between the two brothers, Cain and Abel. You may know the story, God favoured Abel's sacrifice over Cain's, and that caused jealousy and bitterness to grow in Cain's heart, which very sadly drove him to kill his brother. But all, even more sad is that this self-centred heart poisoning, if I can use that sort of terminology, has permeated throughout every generation from really the fall, Adam and Eve's bringing in the fall of humanity right up to today, right up to now, right up to here in this very room. You see, God's heart has always been for harmonious living between his created creatures. Yeah. Harmonious living. But this just isn't what we currently see around us, is it? We live in a culture that too often refuses to be other-centred, yeah. instead choosing to be self-centred, too often of the time. Too often of the time. A mindset that doesn't always place the needs and welfare of others first, but instead chooses to have the attitude, it's about my wants. It's about what I need, what I should have. Me, me, me. The very attitude uh, that Paul himself spoke into or spoke against when he said, let each of you look not only to yourselves, but what? But also to the interests of others. The interests of others. Now, if we want to understand God's original divine plan for human relationships and grasp the essence of what a harmonious relationship should look like, then we need to turn to the source. We need to go back to the source itself, and that is the relationship between the triune God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, before we explore this relationship it's first important for us to get a basic grasp. We cannot do it justice this morning, okay? But get a basic grasp of the doctrine of the Trinity itself, which is one of the most important, yet can be the hardest to understand doctrines of the Christian faith. You ready? 
Now, the doctrine of the Trinity um, is concerned with understanding, in essence, the nature of Almighty God and, and, and trying to define who this divine creator is. You see, God is what we refer to him as. It's what we pray to him as and we, we call him, but it isn't who he is. God is the eternal supreme being. The eternal supreme being who, who exists as three co-equal yet distinct eternal persons. Who's confused already? And those three distinct yet uh, uh, co, uh, those, those, those three co-equal yet distinct persons are God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This in essence is, is, is really what that word Trinity means. It can mean three or group of three. So it's just a nice, nice word for us to uh, uh, theologians to attach to this. The theologians for hundreds of years have tried to understand the mystery of how God, the eternal being, can also be three co-equal yet distinct eternal persons. That's a mystery. Pastors and youth leaders have tried, and I'm sure you've experienced this yourselves, have tried to explain the Trinity using examples such as the three-leaf clover. Anyone experienced that one before? Three-leaf clover had the same stem, but three, three. It doesn't quite capture the, 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 the essence of the, this doctrine of the Trinity, how it works, how this relationship really works. Some others you're probably a bit more familiar with, the, uh, the, the ice, water, and steam. Who's seen that one before? Again, they're good, they're good attempts to try to understand, but they never quite capture, because you can't really capture this. And it might sound like a bit of a cop-out, but the truth is we don't really know how this works, nor will we ever really truly know, not in this life anyway, and that's okay. It's okay sometimes to not fully understand aspects about who God is and how he works. Is that not where faith comes into it? It's not a cop-out, but God hasn't revealed the in and outs of every single aspect of himself to his created creatures, nor should he have to. But this is where faith plays a part. But there are some aspects of the Trinity that we can grasp to help us on our journey of understanding. The first is to understand the difference between a being and a person. A being and a person. No, oh, I missed a slide. I'm using a clicker today, so if I miss something, please forgive me. Right. So a being, a being is a living entity. A person is a being that has individuality and self-awareness. You could say all persons are beings, but not all beings are persons. Right? 
Not all beings, not all persons, all persons are beings, <laughs> but not all beings are persons. Okay, so let's have a look at an example of this. So we could say that a tree is a being. Okay, a tree is a being because it is a living entity, but it's not a person because it doesn't have individuality and self-awareness. However, on the other hand, a human is both a being and a person. Because a human is both a living entity and has individuality and self-awareness. Does that make sense? Hopefully. So in essence, God is also a being. Okay, God is a being because God is the, underline the, eternal, always existing, living entity. But God also coexists eternally and completely as three individual and self-aware persons. Okay, might have to go back and re-watch this. Now, over the years, faithful theologians have, have encapsulated, if you will, the essence of the doctrine of the Trinity into seven truth statements. They are, number one, God is one, there is only one God. That's a truth statement. There is, God is one, and there is only one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but, but, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. One God Three individual persons. We can't grasp how that works, can we? Nor are we meant to. But by faith we accept the truth of it. Okay? To put it in picture form, who's seen this before? This is quite a common sort of picture of how this works. Obviously you've got God... In the centre, on, on the outer side, you've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. But on the outside, you've got also, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. I appreciate it's a little, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a lot of meat to chew, isn't it? But I promise you. If we grasp the essence of what we're speaking about today, it will unpack and unlock a lot of what we're going to be speaking into the rest of this series. So this is probably the hardest session, okay? All the rest <laughs> won't be this, trying to, try to understand how it works. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. It's a problem when you've got the clicker in your hand. Now, you spend any length of time in Scripture... And you will find countless passages talking about all three persons of the Trinity, both as individual persons and yet still divinely 
God. Should we have a look at a couple? Good. Right. I can now click to the next one. So Jesus talks about the Father as God. Okay? He does so in John 6, 27. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, on the Son, on Jesus, God the Father has set his seal. So this is Jesus talking about God the Father, separate person, same God. The Son, Christ Jesus, is also called God. Paul says, to them, this is them being the Israelites, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Who is the Christ? Who's the Christ? Jesus. Who is Jesus? God. We then have, in Acts 5.34, the Holy Spirit is also referred to and called God. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? He then goes on and says, you have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. Lied to God. He's lied to the Holy Spirit. He's lied to God. Now, because all three members of the Trinity are fully divine, fully God, it means that the Father, Son, and Spirit all have the same attributes. They are all the same. What does that mean? They are all eternal. All eternal. They are all infinitely wise. They are all infinitely holy. They are all omnipresent, everywhere, all at the same time. Omnipient. They are all powerful. All powerful, praise God. And they are all omniscient. They are all are all knowing. It's a scary one, that one, isn't it? We don't like that one. They are all all knowing. Everything about us, your mind, what you think, what you say under your breath, what you say behind closed doors, what you think about people, they know it all. Because they are all knowing. I'm just going to drop that and leave it there. And the attribute that is really at the centre of our next area of focus this morning is the infinite and pure love that the persons of the Trinity have for each other. For each other. So... Let's have a look at this, the harmonious relationship of our triune God. Are we ready? Good. Just making sure people are still with me. You see, at the heart of the relationship of the Trinity 
is a neutral, self-giving love. A neutral, self-giving love. A love that isn't forced. A love um, that isn't resented. It's, it's, it, it's a love that can't be stopped. It can't be weakened. Each person of the Trinity can't fall in love more, nor can they fall out of love because the pure essence of God is love. He is love. He's not in love. He is love. He can't change who he is. This love is reflected in the fact that the members of the Trinity all glorify each other. They all glorify each other. In other words, they have pure joy for each other. They praise one another and they eternally delight in each other. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Or a beautiful reality. We see this in Scripture. God the Son, Jesus, describes the Holy Spirit as living to glorify him. And we see this in, in John's Gospel at the top there. He, Jesus, sorry, he, the Spirit, which is Jesus talking, he, the Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Beautiful. Then a chapter over, in chapter 17, verse 4 and 5 of John's Gospel, we see the reference to the Son and the Father glorifying each other. But what's even more amazing is he says it, they've done it for eternity. I, says Jesus, glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. To love and glorify each other means that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in their very nature other-centred, not self-centred. They are other-centred, not self-centred. The essence of their personhood is to joyfully adore and delight in serving one another, always looking out for the interests of the other, not themselves. My brother lent me a book by uh, Tim Keller uh, called uh, uh, The Reason for God. And in it he says that the self-centred person remains static and expects everyone else to move around them. Isn't that true? We look at the world around us, we stay static. I'm not moving for everyone else. Everyone should serve me. Everyone should do what I want, how I want it, when I want it. We expect people to circle us. 
But this isn't what, so within the Trinity. They take part in what Tim Keller calls the divine dance. The divine dance. Listen to this. The life of the Trinity circum, circ, <coughs> characterizes <laughs> character, not by self-centeredness, but by mutual self-giving love. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to and rejoices in the others. That creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. Isn't that lovely? And if you allow just for a moment your imagination to run with it, you get this amazing picture in your mind of how their relationship works. Never worrying about themselves, but always looking to the others. It's lovely. How marvellous would this be if we adopted this approach in our own relationships, in our own families and friend circles, how amazing would it be if we adopted this approach in our own marriages? Us orbiting around the other instead of us expecting the others to orbit around us. Not demanding or expecting from them, but willingly placing their interests, their desires first. Us delighting in them and serving them, not under compulsion, but willingly. Pouring love, delight and adoration upon them. How amazing would that be? How harmonious life would be. But our brains instantly start going, yeah, but what about me? What about my interests? But think about it. I'll, I'll use an example of a marriage. If you live your life using this as your staple, as your, as your foundation, and you're always looking to the interests of, of, of the other, husband or wife, what are they doing? If this is working, what are they doing? They're looking to yours, aren't they? You're not going to miss out, if anything... You're both going to elevate each other. You're both going to encourage and, and drive each other to be the best they can. Never again will someone feel lonely within a relationship. Feel like they're on their own in a relationship. And you can, you can, you can take this out to family life and friends life. It's good. Of course you can. Praise God. This brings us on to the last point this morning, which is the harmonious roles of the triune God. We've had the harmonious relationship of the triune God, and now we're going to see how this harmony works within the roles of the triune God. 
The loving, glorifying relationship within the Trinity is also found at the centre of their roles, which each of the, the, uh, the persons of the Trinity fulfills in relation to creation, revelation, and salvation. Okay? They all have a role. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit each have a role to play within the realms of creation. What was the second one I said? Revelation, Revelation. salvation. Okay? So what are these roles? Well, actually, quite helpfully, um, the, the team have got questions. I like the way they put it, so I've pinched that for this morning. Um, they summarise it this way, the roles of each. The Father is the cause. The Father is the cause. The Son is the agent. And the Spirit is the means. Let's unpack this a little bit, shall we? And this all is supported in Scripture, as we're going to see. I know this is a bit of death by PowerPoint this morning, which I'm not used to. Okay, so uh, this is a new for me as well. Um, if you can't see it, don't worry, I'm going to read it. So when we look at God the Father, okay, as God the Father, his role in the Trinity is the cause of creation. As supported in 1 Corinthians 6, a, which says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. The Father is the cause of creation. The Father is also the cause of divine revelation in the world, as supported in Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, it says, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. The Father is also the cause of salvation in the world, as supported in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Son, God the Son, his role, <coughs> excuse me, his role in the Trinity is the agent on the earth for God the Father. He's the agent on the earth for God the Father. Through whom not only creation would come, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 8-7, which says Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Notice that was the first, first Bible verse we looked at for God the Father. It's just the next verse on. God the Father says it was from whom all things come. Here we see Jesus Christ through whom all things and through whom we exist. He is also... It is also through Jesus that divine revelation would be spoken to the world. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was God, uh, with God, and the Word was God. John 1 1. Probably one of the most amazing Bible verses to unpack. You could spend a lifetime just studying <laughs> just that verse. And also through whom the Father brought the means of salvation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19 It was through the Son, as the agent on the earth, through whom God was reconciling the world to himself. And then we have God the Spirit. Now the Spirit is the means by which the Father creates and maintains creation. Genesis 1-2, what was the Spirit doing? Hovering, wasn't he? Hovering. The earth is without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, ready to do his part. The Spirit is also the Father's means of bringing divine revelation to the world, as supported in 2 Peter 1.21, which says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, it is the Spirit via the Father's will who is the regenerator of saved souls. Titus 3, 4 and 5, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but, because, but according to his own mercy by the washing of re regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. But here's the thing. Though the persons of the triune God are all equal in nature and divine attributes, and they each have a role to play within the world, as we've just seen, there is something else that we observe here. And that is a willing submission within the relationship of the triune God that is freely and wholeheartedly given. Why? Rhetorical question. Why? Because their focus is on each other and their nature is to glorify each other and take joy in each other. That's why there's a willing submission here within these roles that they play in the world when it comes to creation, revelation and uh, salvation. Throughout scripture we see both the Son and the Holy Spirit willingly submitting to the Father's leading in creation and salvation even though they are equal in nature and have the same attributes as the Father but they willingly submit to the Father's will. And we see the Holy Spirit willingly submitting to the Father 
and the Son's leading in, in creation and salvation, even though he is equal in nature and has the same divine attributes as the Son and the Father. This is what we see play out in our opening passage that we read this morning. Laid up quite small. But in verse 17 of our passage, the Father, Jesus' baptism, remember the Father was speaking from his prominent position on high in heaven. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In verse 16, we see Jesus being baptised in preparation for his ministry to fulfil the Father's will upon the earth, which he does so willingly. And also in verse 16, we see the Spirit descend upon Jesus, who is, whose power is the means through which Jesus fulfils his ministry upon the earth. And when Jesus... God the Son was baptised immediately. He went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and come and rest on him. You can see this divine relationship working here. But there is also this willing submission that happens. Friends, this is the same very attitude that God expects us to have with each other. With each other. But the shocking reality is because of the fall and our self-centred mindsets, we don't like this word submit, do we? We do not like it. And we, 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 we dislike doing it even more. We do not like being told what to do by those who are placed in our lives to lead us, to guide us, or to manage us. I know I haven't over the years. We see it in culture all around us, this culture that often has this, this, this anarchy, this, this fight the system mentality towards those who are put in place to lead the country or to lead our county. Between us and our bosses in our workplaces, I'm sure a few of you are probably sitting there now going, yeah, I, I can think of a boss or two. We see it in children rebelling against parents' rules. If you have teenagers, you know, you know what I'm saying. Children rebelling against parents' rules and in marriages, husbands and wives fighting for power and dominance over each other. It's all around us, but this was never as it was meant to be, as we see in the relationship of the Trinity. And as we will see in the coming weeks, Friends, we must always remember that it was because of the Father's love 
for his creation, us, his created creatures, that the sons love for, and, uh, sorry, and for the sons love of the father that led to Jesus to willingly submitting himself under the father's will to come to the earth and provide us, us rebellious, ungrateful human beings, a way out of God's coming righteous judgment. As Mike prayed earlier, it's so true. It's because of submission that Jesus willingly sacrificed himself upon that cross so that humanity, so that you and I can be saved from that coming righteous judgment. If there was ever an example of Jesus' submission, ever an example that we see of, of how Jesus is revolving and orbiting around the Father, of Jesus being other-centred than self-centred, then it would be when Jesus was on his knees in the Garden of the Gethsemane on the night before he was crucified, and he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but your will be done. Not I, not my will. Because if it was down to me, Father, I would run a mile. I wouldn't go through with this. But because he is other-centred, because he orbits around the Father, and he, and, and he willingly submits down under the Father's will to go through with this because of the effect it will have on the world, the salvation power that will come because of it. He says, Father, it's not my will, but yours. I'm getting excited. It was because of Jesus' willing submission to the Father that you have freedom today if you are here and you're a believer in Christ. But if you're here this morning and you are not a believer, can I challenge you why? Why? We often say here, you're not here by chance. God doesn't do chances. You're here for a reason. You are loved. You are adored by God. If you weren't, Christ would never have died for you. And he's calling you this morning if you haven't already given your life to Christ. What's holding you back? I might get mocked at. I might get laughed at. So what? Jesus did. Didn't stop him from ministering. Who cares what people say about you? What's important is that you have a relationship with Christ and that when that day does come, and friends, it will come, you will stand righteously before the Father and you will live eternal life with him and the triune God forever. So why? Why haven't you given your life to him? Can I challenge you? Is the Lord tugging your heart this morning? If he is, don't fight it. Don't fight it. 
Come to the prayer area afterwards, like Mike said. Let us pray with you. Don't be afraid to ask questions. There's no such thing as a bad question or a silly question. Or if you're not quite there this morning, can I challenge you to go home and do a bit of research? Find out who this Jesus is. Find out who he is, what he's done, what his claims are. Can I challenge you? Grab hold of a Bible. If you haven't got one, I'll give you one. Go to Mark's Gospel. Open it up and just start reading and say, do you know what, Lord, if, if you are real, if you are real, then reveal yourself to me as I read your word. But don't just take what I'm saying as, as just all rubbish, because it's not. It's not. And you'll probably find there are many in this room that have been on that same journey of thinking this is all a load of rubbish. But God, God helped, or God revealed himself to them. I know this is true for me and Kelly. Can I invite the band up, please? I know that's been, been a bit of a, a, a heavy going session today. But friends, trust me when I say, if we get hold of the, of the, the loving triune relationship and the loving submission of the triune God, if we get hold of that, this will carry on through every other session we're going to do in this, in this Realign series, especially when we start looking and start looking practically a lot of the problems and challenges that we face in the world around us all the time. But we do so from a loving point, from a loving position. We are all made in the image of God. So, and, and in essence, that means that this harmonious relation, this harmonious relationship is ingrained into our very being because we're made in the image of God. But because of the fall, our desire to rebel against it is the louder voice in our heads and hearts. But this is the part of the reason the Holy Spirit willingly came and dwelt with us and in us to mould in us a new heart and guide us back into right relationship with God, yes, but also with each other. Each other. In an inharmonious world, we need to play our part in helping bring <coughs> harmony, modelling the relationship of the Trinity and being examples of other-centeredness, not self-centeredness, mm -hmm. and willingly submitting to whatever God calls us to and to whomever God calls us to, not out of compulsion, but out of a desire to glorify God, who is the author and orchestrator of life and correct living. Today we'll continue to look at harmonious relationships throughout this month in our home groups and again in our uh, going deeper session in a couple of weeks. It will also play a big part, as I've said, in our Realign series going forward. So as we head off this morning, let us... Look to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to help us to realign <coughs> back in line with God's original plan. Amen?
Amen. Shall we worship? Amen. <laughs>